Welcome to All of You with Madeleine Munro, a space where we explore vulnerable conversations and topics centered around a trauma-informed approach to healing and growth, where we welcome all that we are exactly as we are. Hi loved ones, welcome to episode 12 of the All of You podcast with me, Madeleine Munro. So here we are. I'm recording this and it's the end of 2022. Wow, what a year this has been. I don't know about you, but I feel like a completely different human being than the beginning of the year. Yeah, for me, it's been a huge year of deaths, rebirths, letting go, big portals and initiations and some real deep dives into who I thought I was and understanding who I who I am now. Um, all of my relationships within that. So it's been, yeah, a really big year. And I'm personally going through my Saturn return. So I, yeah, it's just been lots of lessons and learnings. And I feel really grateful to be, yeah, ending this year as, yeah, such a different being. And I also feel so deeply grateful for every single one of you listening and every single member of this community. It just means so much And you are actually some of my biggest sources of inspiration. I am in reverence to all of your growth and your healing and your insights and the reflections that you share with me on Instagram and email, Facebook, that drop in for you. It just blows me away. You just, yeah, you just blow me away and it just inspires me to the very core. And so to say thank you, I have created an offer I have created the code uh, Jan 20 for those that would love to book in for yeah one-to-one coaching packages or heal with love program where you get 20% off for the first week of January this is my gift to you I am so excited to share this with you and it's just such a gift to have you here so yeah, if you, I'll write it in the show notes, but if you pop in Jan 20, if you sign up for a discovery call, then you can, you can mention it. And I'm aware that I get quite booked up. And so there may not be lots of discovery calls, especially in the first week. So if you just uh, name the offer in your discovery form, then I can, we'll schedule it in when we can, and you can still have the offer. And if you sign up straight away, which I love it when some of you do this, it's so sweet. Um, I so appreciate it. Um, Just typing in, yeah, Jan 20 into the offer box and yeah, receiving this discount, receiving this this gift from my heart to you, because it really feels like that. You are such a gift to me. So how can I give back to you? I deeply appreciate each and every one of you so much. Okay, and for those that um, want to dive deeper and know more, you have my one-to-one programs, which are on my website. For those who want to transform your relationships with intimacy, pleasure, relationships, all of it, all of our attachment patterns, sexual intimacy, the platonic relationships, it's all there. Or like the money pieces that come up because I feel like our relationship with one area in our life is mirrored across the all because we have our attachment patterns stored in our nervous systems. So we have the one-to-one offers which are profound. The results that people share with me after our four months working together just really touch me to the very core, touch my heart to the very core. And 
how you've up-leveled your relationship, how you've transformed your sexual intimacy, how you experience orgasms now, how you're calling in the partners that you've always wanted. It just, yeah, touches me so deeply. And it's such an honor to have you in the one-to-one containers. And for those that would like to learn in a group space, we have Heal With Love for women who are looking to transform their relationship with pleasure, intimacy, and dating. And the eight-week program from February the 12th, where we come together and we heal our attachment patterns and we fully embody our powerful sexuality and we create healthy, fulfilling relationships together in a held group of sisters together for eight weeks. And so I can't wait to have you in these containers and I can't wait to hear from you in whatever shape and form that you're in connection with me. It means such a lot to hear from you. So I'm sending you so much love and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, loved ones. I am so excited to talk to you about today's topic, which is a really popular one that I get asked about often um, in my client work and in my group programs. And so I wanted to do a podcast on it and it's all around emotional unavailability. So how do we stop choosing emotionally unavailable people? And this can be quite a nuanced topic as one of or a few of the biggest sentences that I hear from people are, oh, they're so emotionally unavailable. I keep attracting these types of people. Um, Why do I keep attracting these type of people? I wish they would change. I wish they could be more open with me. I wish they could bring stuff to me. And this kind of real challenging circle that I've also found myself in where we are already attached to people and then we wish that we could change them and actually how challenging and painful that can be and actually quite hurtful at times. And so one of the things I've learned through my own healing and growth as well as as training is this idea that we can't ever fix or change someone and relationships grow and evolve as we do and I really believe that relationships that last or ones that are meant to be in our lives for a longer period of time are ones that are committed to growing and evolving together where we can grow individually and therefore we're going to change we're going to go through deaths and rebirths and our relationship will then change and hopefully upgrade and up level as we do And so there's this idea of like, how can we grow together rather than there's something wrong with the person that I'm with or I'm dating or I'm interested in. I wish they weren't like this and I need to change them. And so if you notice that in yourself, it's such an easy place to be. I've been here before. And so this is where I wanted to record an episode like this. How can we bring our power back to ourselves and how can we notice our own patterns and how can we realize how we co-create the dynamics that we're in? And so therefore, we're not in relationships where we feel like we need to change anyone else because we love the whole and imperfect being that we're with. We're choosing to be with them, with all of their flaws and with all of our flaws, because we know it's a choice that is right for us. And so therefore, we don't have resentment or withholds, or anger and frustration that that go on for long periods of time and can create ruptures, like ongoing fissures in the trust and the love of the relationship. And so here we go. How do we kind of, if we notice these patterns, hopefully stop it at the source for ourselves 
and from my experience create some ease rather than becoming attached or being in a relationship and then realizing and going through the grief of a breakup once realizing that the traits that we need from someone aren't actually there but the hormones and the adrenaline and the chemistry or the arousal that's present at the beginning has kind of overridden our, our judgment and so how do we stop choosing emotionally unavailable people so how can we really be in our power and be in our sovereign being when we are in, when we are dating people and how can we notice what we need without making other people wrong so firstly what is emotional unavailability and so for me this is a twofold definition so firstly it is to understand the ability to understand and process our own emotions within ourselves so notice when different emotions may arise and where these may come from what may have triggered them how we notice them and then the ability to kind of regulate them and actually work them through our body or work them through our system and have a short refractory time ideally so the idea is that we're all going to go through hundreds of emotions every day and we're going to have our triggers come up every day and how quickly can we come back to our center and our resourced view and our grounded view of the world in an empowered way and so this is number one our how are we with our emotions by ourselves and how do we recognize our own emotions and process them and do we have the skills and tools to process them and a further piece of this so perhaps like 1a is would then be emotional intelligence. So understanding where our emotions come from. So for example, I'll notice I will feel resentment when I've kind of crossed my own boundaries to help someone or like to do something for someone else. And I've crossed my own boundaries and I know I feel resentful because I've bypassed my own capacity to do something for someone else. And that was my responsibility to take care of my own boundaries. And that resentment is mine to understand. So like that's the emotional intelligence piece of tracking that back. So awareness of the emotions, regulating them, and then really kind of perhaps understanding the tapestry of where, where this emotion may have come from. So example, again, perhaps anger. If there's anger, perhaps some of it is in the moment and it's like, oh, this person cut me off in traffic and the anger is there. And then perhaps some perhaps part of that anger is also activated as a trigger from earlier when someone else cut us off when we were speaking or someone shut us down when we were younger and how frustrating it may have been or painful when someone shut us down or crossed our boundaries in that way and therefore like a uh, an accident or an incident on the road or someone cuts us off may feel that same kind of boundary violation feeling like how could you and activate that in us ourselves and so here we go emotional and emotional availability one one a emotional intelligence and then two and i've kind of separated this out uh to to really encapsulate the, the nuance of emotional availability and so number two is our range to bring these to another person or process this in connection with someone because what i found is that Perhaps we may be aware of our own emotions and really great at regulating them. And number one feels brilliant. Like we're on it. We are self-sufficient. We know what to do when different triggers arise. We're emotionally intelligent. We know where they come from. But then when someone else asks us, hey, how are you? 
like what's really going on, then that can feel really triggering. And perhaps we don't trust to open up to someone else. And when someone else wants to know what's going on, we won't actually share the truth of our emotional landscape with someone. And so these are the two parts that I that I define emotional availability in that really make up this theme of what we're talking about. And so then when we're looking for potential partners and we're dating, it can be really powerful to notice what self-care there is with someone. Do they have the right support and resource structures to take care of their own emotions? Do they name what feelings arise? And then do they share them with you? Or when you're having vulnerable conversations, do they open up about how that makes them feel? And so this two-step process of really understanding when there is emotional availability or not. And so why may people, why may we, because I feel like at some level, all of us have some possible emotional unavailability within us and it's such a a sliding scale. And so why may we we be emotionally unavailable? And the short answer of this is that it would have kept us safe at some level growing up. So it may not have been fully safe or the resources may not have been available for us to fully understand our emotions of what was going on. So that means that there may not be in the structures for us from a developmentally growing up to understand what our emotions are within our bodies, noticing where they arise, what comes up, how to interpret these with the outside world. And then there may not have been the structures from either family or school or the systems, the communities that we we were in to move through these and to know that it was safe to have these. So therefore it would have felt safer to either dissociate, self-abandon or move into a certain fluctuation of uh, nervous system dysregulation than it would be to actually slowly move through the emotions. So for example, if we look at this through a nervous system lens, when we're in our window of presence, so when we're within nervous system regulation, when we can be present, engaged, open and curious, there may be emotions that may arise and they may bring us into sympathetic or parasympathetic. And when we are in a support structure that allows us and where we feel safe to go into these emotions and feel them, then we may be able to move our nervous systems or our, not we, because it's involuntary, our ANS, or autonomic nervous system, will move into these the internal nervous system dysregulation to keep us safe. So that's where we may be in more of the realm of embodied emergency responses. So perhaps some freeze or some fright or some fawn. And then through the holding of caregivers or community, we will come back into regulation. So this is where like trauma can also be multifaceted when it happens. So trauma defined really lightly and in a really oversimplified way, like it's too much, too fast, too soon. And so therefore then trauma can be a two-step piece of when the initial trigger may arise and our nervous system moves into dysregulation. So parasympathetic, sympathetic, and the ranges of that, the responses, fight, flight, fawn, freeze, fornicate, there's a very there's a myriad of the subtleties of these responses. Then what can happen is like what 
our nervous system really needs in this place is almost is is co-regulation or it is when it we may not be able to regulate ourselves or self-regulate which we can't do as children so as babies and children we learn nervous system dysregulation we, we learn nervous system regulation through co-regulation with our caregivers and so if this is not available to us we may stay in these responses for a long period of time and that may feel normalized for us. So therefore, we may become emotionally unavailable because it may not feel safe to process our emotions because when we were younger, there weren't the support structures to move through it. Because ideally, if in the in the structures that would support our nervous systems, the dysregulation would occur or we'd be within an like an emergency embodied response and our caregivers or communities would hold us in that and help bring us back into regulation. And we would learn the regulation through going into regulation and back out of regulation. We would learn the natural ebb and flow of our bodies and trust the higher intelligence of our nervous systems and what our emotions are teaching us and that it's safe to feel these certain emotions and it's safe to express them because we will be held or we are witnessed and we are validated and we belong because some of the core facets of belonging or or, or bringing or of attachment is to belong to be validated to be witnessed and so if these aren't happening when we're going through emotional turmoil when we're younger, therefore we may not feel validated, we may not feel like we belong, or we may not feel, feel witnessed within this. So we may shut those down within ourselves because therefore we've, it's been, we've learned through experience that that's actually safer. So it's a way of keeping ourselves safe. And in a more detailed view if we look at embodied emerging responses trauma responses these are uh, maps of even certain emotions so for example if we look at anger and frustration and what may happen is that we may actually feel more of a fight response i've spoken about this before this idea of from kimberly ann johnson of irritation is actually your first fight response it's one of the earliest forms of showing that, that we're in this response and so therefore we can kind of map where we may be actually out of our window of presence on our nervous systems within these embodied emergency responses and therefore if it wasn't we weren't held and coming back into nervous system dysregulation while moving through these right moving through these big emotions then we may not even know what these emotions were we may not understand our emotional landscape we may not feel safe to express our emotions with someone. We may feel like we've got to process them all ourselves and that's the only real, only safe way to do so. We may not believe that our emotions are even valid or worthwhile talking about, that we need to shut them down. And again, this is the micro of the macro of community and societies that we live in, where we live in a capitalistic patriarchal society where we're often taught productivity above everything we're taught ideals around different genders around expressing emotions what it means to be different genders what if it mean what it means to be successful so we're really starting to see the the weaving together 
of these micro within our own systems and then with our own communities and the macro of bigger communities that we grow up in of why it would feel safe not to express our emotions. Of course, we wouldn't express them or we wouldn't even perhaps even know how to regulate them if we were taught when you're feeling this way in school, be quiet and sit still. Like, even if this is coming up, please just be quiet. So we're really having, I'm wondering if we can invite so much compassion for those parts of ourselves that are emotionally unavailable and people that we may meet that may be emotionally unavailable. And so when we look at this from this, I hope that we can perhaps really see these parts of ourselves. And a reason why I find this topic so exciting is because it was a really big portal for me to go through. So it's so interesting that I I actually work with a lot of women moving through this piece over the years. And it's because it's a piece that I moved through. And I can tell you a few years ago, probably four or five, I would, I would say this. It was literally a sentence I would say. I was like, oh, um, yeah, he's just, uh, I talk, we talk about people. I was like, oh, they're just so emotionally unavailable. I just, I can't, I can't do it. I wish they were more emotionally available. I, why are they like this? You know, like I couldn't, I was so frustrated at the people that I was choosing and I was choosing them. And so this leads me onto this idea of why do we choose emotionally unavailable people? And for me, this was a really big wake up call. I had seen it play out for when I was younger and and dating people. My first relationship was a long distance relationship with someone in another country and another culture, another religion, age gap. So there are lots of unavailabilities within the relationship, but I had chosen to have a big commitment with them. And already there was, that suited me, that level of intimacy suited me to some level because I got to have my freedom and my safety with that distance between us. And then when I started to date further, once I got more into this work, I still found myself thinking why, and not, you know, even thinking, but in this place of probably even complaining, I think, thinking there's like some superior entitlement, not realizing it was my own blind spot of why are other people emotionally unavailable until I realized that I was choosing these people on a subconscious level because they mirrored my own emotional unavailability. So they mirrored that back to me. And that's why I was choosing them because I actually felt safer in this. Although I was calling in divine partnership and sacred partnership and someone to meet me at the depth of my core and see me fully, I wasn't actually ready for that level of intimacy and that felt really scary. So I was choosing people that matched and mirrored my own level of emotional availability so that I could also feel safe. So there we have it. Uh, One of the main reasons why we may be choosing emotionally unavailable people is because a part of us is emotionally unavailable. And often this is, well, actually, this is at a subconscious level of the nervous system. And so here we have it. One of the main reasons that we choose emotionally unavailable people is because a part of us is emotionally unavailable. And this is at the level of the nervous system, the subconscious. So what this means is, is that this isn't a conscious choice often. It's not like we're seeing emotionally unavailable people and then we're like, oh, that's a great fit. I really want that. It's a part of our subconscious is noticing that the tendencies match 
something that feels safe for us on some level and our subconscious is drawn towards that and that feels actually probably familiar for our nervous system on some level and so therefore part of the process of how how to stop this and change this pattern within ourselves is actually a really slow and gentle process like how I feel that all change and transformational that long-lasting is is this doability this bite-sized change that it doesn't happen overnight uh, this isn't something that we're going to write on in our intentions on the full moon of like letting go of emotional unavailability and then we never meet someone like that again or attracted to them it's where we become just more aware of our own stuff more aware of the type of people that we date and our patterns and then we become more aware of our own needs and we build this jigsaw puzzle of what we need in a partner and what we need in a relationship so that we can create more healthy and fulfilling relationships from the get-go with this idea it's like google maps it's like if we know where we're going then we can we're not going to stop off at love being love bombed we're not going to stop off at breadcrumbing because we know that's not the type of behavior that we're going to accept in the relationship that we really want. So it's getting clear on these things and building this awareness when we are dating, because once we're on that Google route, then often arousal and chemistry can get in the way and can be a bit foggy. It's like those rose-tinted glasses when we are dating someone and wanting to see the best in them and the psychology of they've named one of my workshops of like why we ignore red flags and you know which it succinctly is because we're programmed to ignore red, red flags from a young age because we needed to ignore red flags in our caregivers because that's how we stayed in connection with our caregivers because we couldn't turn away because they were our source of safety and food and shelter so therefore it's like how can we really understand ourselves better so that we choose better and then we become attached to people that are safer and right for us and we welcome in the right people in our lives and so yeah so this is one of the main reasons of why we choose emotionally unavailable people and then this often stems from our own our own caregivers so a part of so perhaps one of our caregivers was emotionally unavailable and and we've built up these patterns, like I shared in earlier around why we may be emotionally unavailable, is that of, of how to process our emotions. So perhaps we're aware of our emotions. We want something to be like we can regulate them ourselves, but then perhaps in intimacy, it can feel really scary or daunting to trust that someone can hold us in our emotions, in the vulnerability, in saying the truth, in voicing our needs, desires, and fears without being hurt. And this is where it's like, you know, when I said number two of emotional unavailability or availability is this idea of availability and connection. So even if we have the skills to be, to have the emotional intelligence and awareness ourselves, the next piece is like trusting that part of ourselves with another person, another being. So like building up that secure attachment with emotional availability. And that comes through um, if it hasn't been given through our caregivers, we haven't built up so secure attachment from childhood, it comes through like learning and rewiring our nervous system to feel safer, to share the deeper pieces with others and to know that we're not going to be abandoned or neglected 
or rejected and it's safe to be within our own emotional regulation and to be held with our emotions and to be seen in them and validated and witness and belong with someone else. And so this is where I would see perhaps with clients, it's like the hyper-independence. And so with children that may have grown up perhaps with um, neglect on some level, and this can be so subtle because I think there's this idea of what neglect looks like. And actually it may be that everything's provided for you, but your emotional needs weren't met or like everything looked fun on the surface, but actually your parents weren't attuned to you in the way that you needed. And therefore it didn't feel safe for you to process your emotions with them. And so this is where we may develop um, hyper-independence. And so this is something I help quite often. It's often with women, I get them right now. Um, but it's also, I actually, that's actually not true. I also see it with, with all genders. Um, because I also, yeah, see it with those identified as men, but it's in a different way. But this hyper-independence of, I can do it all by myself. I'm better off by myself. Um, I can go to the gym, work out. I feel so much better. I've got all my grounding practices. I've got my yoga, I've got my therapy. I'm good. But when it, and like, then this fear of, well, if someone else comes into my life, then perhaps that doesn't feel as safe. Or then feeling like that may be, that may feel destabilizing to that part of us. So this, this second piece of emotional availability in relationships. And this is where, this final piece of why we may choose emotional unavailable people is because of fundamentally it's our attachment patterns. This is a, this is all language saying in different ways of how we attach to other human beings. And so the way this may play out, so in this habit of hyper-independence, is this avoidance. And so there may be avoidance on different scales where like there's avoidance perhaps in different areas um, and hyper-independence and connection and then therefore deep intimacy and deep in connection and deep commitment may not feel safe because actually that feels safer and a key place to notice with with attachment patterns and emotional availability is this avoidant and anxious pattern that can play out what I found is is that when ultimately the same piece is here like a fear of intimacy and a fear of going deeper and a fear of insecure attachment that may be present, but it may look different. So for example, anxious, um, and there's, and there's different facets and pillars of attachment, which I'll come to perhaps in a, in a bigger podcast on the subject. But when we're looking at the simple branches of anxious, avoidant and secure, it's, like anxious may find people with anxious attachment strategies may find that they need a lot of reassurance and to need someone know that someone is there and like may need, may need connection to feel safe. And then if someone are avoidant, it's finding safety through withdrawing and through self-regulation. And actually the deep piece is, is the emotional availability comes in the secure attachment. And for those that are listening that might not know about attachment fully in, in a quick frame around attachment, it's basically how do we feel most safe in connection through our nervous system and how this shows up in, in relationships? So therefore, how does our ner- how close does it feel safe to be with someone? And then this was going to show up through our bodies. So often, yeah, through our nervous systems, it's through 
like our subconscious acting in ways that we may not be aware of or be able to control, keeping people at the right distance for us, you know, so through, um, and it's all dependent on how we grow up and, and the availability of our parents and our caregivers, our community growing up, that we develop these types of styles and strategies in order to keep people at the safest distance with us. And that's really what it's about, like how safe does connection feel and how safe does it feel to have people that are super close or super far away? What What is needed here for my nervous system to find the most regulation? And so here, why it's important with emotional availability is that while it might not seem it, for someone with anxious attachment, this type of strategy, it's like there may be a lot of voicing the emotions, voicing the needs like a need for reassurance and need to be seen by the other and need for connection. But what the key piece here about the emotional availability that isn't present is the self-regulation. And so the full picture of emotional availability isn't actually there because part of the emotional regulation is coming through the other person. And so there's still not full emotional availability. Although what, what I see a lot is people perhaps with anxious attachment strategies playing out Think, and this was me also, and thinking, ah, I'm so emotionally available. Why are other people not as emotionally available? And actually what it is, is that where do we need to process our emotions with others and we can't actually fully self-regulate by ourselves and therefore we build dynamics with people that may not be emotionally available or maybe have avoidance strategies in order to play out this fear of intimacy or like the level of intimacy that feels safe and perpetuate the pattern of insecure attachment. And yeah, so this is a key factor that's often missed, that actually you could have an active attachment style, you could be naming all your emotions, be, pro- be processing them, um, but there's like, like there's a bit of a blind spot where actually there's emotional availability present because there's not secure attachment present because there's not the ability to self-soothe or self-regulate away from the connection. And actually all the needs are trying to be met through the connection. And so on the flip side with someone with more avoidance strategies, then this is more of the safe connection may not feel as safe. I feel um, safe or alone and I may need to withdraw and understand and regulate myself uh, as my primary source of safety. And so these patterns can often come together um, with this emotional availability pattern because actually there isn't the secure attachment of going deeper and sitting with each other in the healthy rupture and repair cycle that happens to create secure attachment. So when there's anxious avoidance cycles playing out, which the same dynamic Um, as often plays out with emotional availability, which is like hot, cold, push, pull, perhaps there's a leaning in and then someone leans out. Perhaps you think everything's fine and then it's not, um, not quite sure what the intentions are, where it's going. It's like the way through this is building secure attachment. It's, It's having the difficult conversations. It's sitting with each other when you're both triggered or activated and moving through it as a team and seeing the trigger or the conflict as its own entity and being with your own truths and seeing each other's truths in that. So that requires these different facets of emotional availability of one, understanding our own emotions and regulating them and processing them ourselves. And the number two, 
And also actually 1B, emotional intelligence of, of stripping back where our triggers may be. And then number two, emotional availability and connection, actually sitting with others in our vulnerability, our despair, our triggers, our rage, our frustration, and moving through conflict in a, in a way that can create deeper intimacy, moving through it like as a team. I often say, one of my yeah comments is like it's it's not you and it's not you versus me it's us versus the trigger it's us versus the conflict and how can we see these truths and that actually needs a lot of nervous system regulation it takes it takes a lot of practice for us to sit with ourselves in conflict because and sit with others in conflict because it's actually one of the most dangerous things that can happen to our systems it can often feel like life or death. You know, this is why people pleasing and caretaking can can be so abundant in relationships because actually it's easier to keep the peace because if I say what's really going on for me, what if I'm rejected? What if I'm neglected? What if I'm abandoned? What if I'm outcast? What if you're angry with me? What if it's not safe? And the nervous system doesn't know the difference between activation from someone being angry and a saber-toothed tiger. So it can feel safer in that aspect to actually cultivate these patterns. And this actually leads me to a, yeah, a really subtle pattern that I hadn't named around emotional availability. That's just something to, interesting to notice is that when we come in, when we notice emotional availability, with those, and this is another blind spot, I'm kind of just going through all the blind spots that I work through, through this, my own wounding with this was, I think it's all the idea, all the ways that we think that we are, all the, I think I'm emotionally available when I'm actually not. So therefore, where am I avoiding saying the truth, saying my needs, needs and desires? Where am I avoiding conflict? Where am I people pleasing to protect someone else? Where am I caretaking to take care of someone else's triggers? So it's just noticing these subtle ways that we play out emotional unavailability to keep ourselves safe and how they may be actually blocking us from deeper intimacy. Because if we are people, and you know, one of the key aspects where I could refer it to is like the, is the bedroom. If we're people pleasing in the bedroom and we are faking orgasms, we're not saying what doesn't feel good, we're never going to feel like true pleasure. We're never going to feel the heights of pleasure that are possible in our bodies. And we're not going to find harmony with someone and that really beautiful, organic dance of, of, of sex with someone, of sexual intimacy and knowing the, knowing the pathways of pleasure for them and in their body and have those vulnerable conversations like, do you like this? Do you like this? And that's not available for us. So when we are people-pleasing, it is actually blocking us from deeper levels of intimacy and deeper levels of getting our needs met. But perhaps we think we are doing the right thing or like we're we're being the, the kind person and we're, we're being like a good person because we're not going to set, like we're not going to tell someone it doesn't feel great. When actually that's how we build emotional connection is through these really nuanced vulnerable conversations and you know is it in a loving and kind way how how our experience is when we're taking ownership for our experience without projection or blame or criticism and really working out like you know if we're just it's all a dance it's all a game 
oh, when you do this, I feel like this. Ah, great. So perhaps when you try this, maybe I'll feel like this and this will feel better for us in this dance. And really taking the emotional charge out of it. But when our fears of rejection or hurting someone or this um, even codependent patterns of how our actions impact someone else, it can actually lead us into deeper emotional unavailability, even if we feel that we are the emotional available one. So with all this information, how do we stop choosing emotionally unavailable people? Okay, so number one, which you may have guessed already, is understanding and identifying our own patterns, where our own emotional unavailability may show up because really this is this is us this is this is down to us and you know how to stop choosing emotionally unavailable people it's up to us to understand where we are and why we are and how it may be keeping us safe and how it's serving us and giving us the intimacy that on some level feels right for us and so number one which I hope what today has been useful with is understanding our own patterns and identifying where we may be emotionally unavailable or noticing where this may show up, um, what we need. And I see what I find really helpful with this is I actually love to mind map this process. And, and I've done this so many times throughout my period of like coming into relationships more in a more conscious and aware, like aware way over the years. As I've trained as a professional, it's like, really mind mapping all the different ways I've tried to keep myself safe or I just try to notice the blind spots and then I even have spoken to like friends about it and and friends that I love and, and cherish and that I have a really deep secure attachment with and how is it for you in, in conflict with me and how do we move through these pieces and what do we notice and kind of building this this awareness of who we are in relationship and how we keep ourselves safe in relationship and so number two then is when we kind of have this map of who we are, who we see ourselves as through our awareness is then how do we cultivate some of the skills that we may need to allow more emotional availability to come online. So firstly, then it is noticing when our emotions come up and what they are, what they mean, and why they were triggered. So this real subtle skill of self-soothing and self-regulating. And what I mean by this is when an emotion comes up, either we can run with it or we can pause and notice what we need and move the emotion, like close the loop on that pattern. So for example... Yeah, but someone cutting us off in traffic, that can be so annoying. And so either we run, perhaps we're going to go and see a friend and someone cuts us off in traffic. And if we run with that emotion, then perhaps we're we're feeling angry in the moment. Perhaps it's even brought up a deeper trigger from earlier in our part, earlier in our lives. Then we take that anger with us. And perhaps we let it out on people we see, or perhaps then we take that frustration into our conversation with our friend. And there isn't that awareness of, oh, I'm really angry right now. That becomes part of our personality. That becomes, those emotions become infused in our way of being. And we, kind of, we don't really see the wood for the trees. 
And so this is where I spoke about the beginning of this refractory period. It's, of course, we're going to feel annoyed. Of course, all kinds of emotions may come up every day for us. And how quickly can we find our regulation back into our most empowered, loving state of being? So that refractory period. So noticing where the trigger is, what it brought up in our system, and then what our system may need. So if it's something that may be more sympathetic dominant for our nervous systems, and if that's like anger, frustration, it feels more uh, like, yeah, heat, it feels faster than noticing what does our body need to calm down? What does our body need to slow down? What kind of soothing does it need? And then if it's something that perhaps we, we feel more freezy, perhaps you feel a bit more dissociated, sometimes I get it. Or um, when I was growing up, one of my, when anger was less available to me, I'd actually go into freeze and I'd dissociate. So noticing, oh no, I've dissociated. Actually, I've kind of checked out and I need more movement to bring me back into my body. So then noticing where we are in our nervous systems noticing what emotions are present for us if there's a deeper piece that has been present so perhaps an inner child has been activated what does that inner child need or what does our body need in this moment and then the ability to give that to ourselves so therefore taking care of ourselves as a loving parent a loving friend a loving confidant and not abandoning ourselves when these emotions, even if they're difficult or painful, or even actually the opposite, maybe they're just subtle and we just don't think they need addressing, um, but just carrying on as if nothing's happened. So giving ourselves this time to regulate, so self-soothing, so it's like the self-awareness of the emotions, the self-soothing and the self-regulation. And these types of skills take time. Well, yes, you send it back to Buddhism. They're the story of um, someone there being a well in the ground and someone walking towards the well and falling into it, then walking, to the wa- walking towards the well, seeing it, then falling into it, then finally walking towards the well, seeing it and not falling into it. And I feel like that's how we build secure attachment with ourselves. And so therefore we can build secure attachment with others. So that's how we cultivate emotional availability with ourselves so that we can actually do that with someone else. So perhaps we dive into the frustration, the free or so on. So involuntarily into the freeze or the responses and our body goes there straight away. But through building awareness, we can notice and then we can choose through time and through subtle shifts how we're going to respond. And so it may feel like an immediate response that we have no choice over at the beginning. And, and that, can that be okay? And how can we self-soothe and be there for ourselves when that happens? Ah, oh, I flew off the handle. Bummer, I'm really annoyed. Like, I'm annoyed that I did that. And how can I see that that's the way that my nervous system kept me safe was going into fight response. My prefrontal cortex was offline, I was triggered. And how do I create repair? And how do I self-soothe and come into secure attachment with myself and not abandon myself through this? And so there's a myriad of techniques that are available for nervous system dysregulation and cultivating more regulation. And this is really um, up to choice around what works and what doesn't work. But I, I would first start with subtle practices of of pausing when we can and tuning into what our body may need after an experience so for example i love to tune in 
if I'm meeting some people, I'll tune into what do I need before I meet them. Then when I'm with them, am I still connected to my needs? What do I need? Is it hot in here? Do I need to go outside? Do I need water? Do I need the bathroom? Am I at capacity? Do I need to leave? And then afterwards, okay, how is my mood being affected or how is my emotional landscape being affected by this experience and what do I need now? So that's how I would kind of, I would phrase it is what do I need right now and how can we take care of ourselves in that? And that may look like a number of ways and something that can feel difficult in this um, healing and, and growth period is that perhaps things that feel like we need them are are like our red herrings. So for example, I would have a lot of freeze within my system growing up. That was a dominant response for me. And therefore I would often feel like, oh, I need to go back and I need to watch Netflix or I need to just tune out. I need to come back to my introvert and and kind of just chill out for, for a bit after a big event. And actually that wasn't what my body needed. Often I would just need 10, 15 minutes of of breathing or stretching or a practice. And then that could actually regulate my system. But so it's just noticing also then what patterns serve us. Do these patterns still serve us? Do I feel good after one episode of Netflix? Great, I feel great. Do I feel good after six episodes? Mm, I don't know if I still feel the best I could feel right now. And so this constant tuning into what do we need and with all these practices such as breath yoga movement journaling like nervous system regulation techniques around like shaking or certain uh, particular ones around the breath I would love to go into now but I I feel like actually the bigger picture is what do I need right now rather than offering prescription-based tools And then allowing yourself to find that compass and play with this. And so with different ideas, it's like, okay, if I'm feeling a bit like dissociated, perhaps I need some movement. And perhaps when I'm feeling a bit upregulated, a bit sympathetic dominant, okay, perhaps I need some meditation and breathing and trusting the speed of which your body may need to come back into feeling more centered, grounded and empowered in that ventral regal place. And for those that would love specific techniques, I would recommend um, really simple ones that allow you to tune in how you feel as as they're working. And so for example, I love to use the breath and I love to use touch. So So I would perhaps take a few, it's called a psychological sigh. So one that I find helpful for a nervous system reset is it the deep inhale through the nose and then a sigh with sound. Oh. And I may do that a few times and notice then, okay, that can bring me back to presence. And what do I need from here? Do I need to go for a walk? Do I need meditation practice? Do I need a nap? Do I feel ready to go to work? Noticing from that step. So this kind of nervous system reset that that breath can be really helpful with. And another way that I find this is also helpful is uh, self-touch. So I would bring my arms across my body. And so my opposite hands on opposite upper arms and squeeze down my upper arms and just be present with that touch. 
So I'm squeezing from the shoulders down to my elbows on the outside of the arms. And really what these exercises are doing is just bringing, bringing us back to presence, bringing us back to this present moment and, and noticing then what are we feeling in our, in our bodies and our emotions that are arising. And a final one that can be helpful is a, a small gentle shake. So I don't recommend really big emotional catharsis because I feel like it leads to further nervous and dysregulation. But sometimes I find a really great reset can be is putting on a song that I resonate with and I kind of just shake and I move my body in general. And then this can, what can happen is this can help to move the fog or move the cloud of our experiences and then find that clarity within so that then we can know the next step to take. And so there are a few more broad techniques that can work for different states that you're in. And then once you notice, ah, I'm present, but I feel angry. I'm present and I feel resentful. I'm present and I feel tired or exhausted. Then from that place, you have the choice. You you can choose where to go from, where to go to. And so once we have really a embodied relationship with the self-care, the self-parenting, this ability to self-soothe and self-regulate with ourselves, then when we're coming to connection with someone else, I really recommend this concept of slow dating. And this is where, when we take our time to get to know someone, uh, because I feel like there's a idealization of instant chemistry. There's an idealization of meeting someone instant of instantly and going all in and it being a fairy tale and super romantic. And often when I hear about instant chemistry, my advice and recommendation is to pause because instant chemistry is actually often a sign that our nervous system is dysregulated and we are actually interacting with the nervous system dysregulation with, with the other being. And then that creates this kind of pushful dynamic, this butterflies, this excitement, this like nervousness and like, oh my gosh, how good does this feel? And it creates this high of adrenaline and dopamine of reward and why wow, this feels so great. And then there's also the withdrawal and it can be this cocktail, which basically means that our nervous system isn't regulated. And so therefore, it's often not going to lead to secure attachment in relationships because we're coming into it from this place. And so then where can we be grounded and secure with ourselves so we can build that secure attachment with someone else? And this is slow dating. And so slow dating may look like going on time-limited dates. So you know, we love the idea. And I, um, from the tantra world, I would meet people at festivals and I would fall in love quickly. And I would go on elongated dates with people two, three days. And it'd be amazing. And often when we're, when we're noticing or trying to change our patterns, actually it's such a skill to go from the relationship back to ourselves to the relationship back to ourselves but this is how we know if someone's right for us and how we know if someone's compatible because we can work out how we feel with them and then how we feel after and allow that to integrate. It's how I even work with 
with the work that I do with clients. It's like, how do we titrate the healing? So how do we do it in small doable chunks? Because I, if we overdo anything, we're going to overwhelm our nervous systems and then there's going to be a fallout from that. And so when we're dating, allowing yourself to have these, especially at the beginning, so the first few dates, perhaps more time-limited dates, getting to know someone. So first, it was actually probably being really clear in your list of what you want in someone, so that awareness from step one, then going into a dating situation with someone and having a time-limited date, so perhaps a few hours, and seeing how they match up, noticing how you feel in your body. Are they what you need on your list? Are there non-negotiables there? How was that experience for you? Then coming away and integrating that experience and then going on another date with them and feeling into that pool that is created with them, that container. How does it feel? Do they still match up to what you need? How, what did, when they said about this, did you ask them about this? How did your body feel? Are you attracted to them? What may be playing out? And then coming back and integrating. And this technique of slow dating, where we have these more time-limited dates, and I also recommend like not loads of texting in between, and actually getting to know someone in these really sustainable steps and building up attachment. Because the other way is where we go all in with someone and we're already attached. And it happens really quickly. And I actually, it can be a bit of a challenging piece of like manifestation is when we write down everything on our list, someone shows up, oh my gosh, they look great. They look perfect. This is exactly what I want. I'm going to go all in with them. This is it. And before we know it, we are attached to someone. And then we are seeing them through the lens of our attachment, not through the lens of our grounded self-regulated approach so then we've known someone for a short while but because we've already formed this with them and then we're within our attachment cycle with them then it's a completely different experience and then there can be a such a grief and a loss because we're in it and it's all like we're already in neck deep in something and then we have to understand if this person's right for us but already we've they become an anchor in our life and that can be really difficult to kind of walk back from and then create boundaries like it's it's easier to create boundaries and then change them as you go along rather than going all in and not having any boundaries and then realizing something's not right and having to put boundaries in retrospectively and then deal with this piece it's like working with these questions is this person what i want on my list does it how does my body feel with this person how does this person respond to my boundaries? How does this person respond to more intimate questions that I'm asking? Like building this, this awareness around who they are and then the discernment and the worth for you to choose. So this is how do we stop choosing emotionally unavailable? And when we're at this stage of step three of slow dating, ah, yeah, I've been on five dates with this person. I love X, Y, and Z about them, but this piece keeps coming up and I don't think it's right to keep pursuing it. So I've really enjoyed this time. I've learned everything that I need to learn here and therefore I'm going to end it here. Or, wow, I've been on five dates with this person. 
it's incredible. I am noticing I want to commit. I'm noticing I want more. And I'm going to bring this vulnerable conversation to them and keep talking about what we are. And so I hope this has been helpful. It is, yeah, a topic that I I love because it's it was all of my blind spots. And it's been so um, fulfilling and nourishing to build some really incredible relationships and intimacy that I never thought I would have through healing my own emotional unavailability and therefore choosing people that were more emotionally available, having super grounded, chilled, but fucking deep, soulful relationships where it's like, I can love people so much, yet it can feel as calm as like, you know, really calm, like, and ruptures can come up and it's just so grounded and like cool, calm and collected and we're with our triggers. And that's something I never thought was possible because it wasn't something that I, my nervous system was used to. And so this is where this topic is so beautiful for me because I'm, I'm really aware of how I was choosing the people that weren't right for me, but they felt safe for me because that's the level of intimacy that I was used to and that was safe for me. And how I had to go to some really deeper places in myself and create real safety in myself, self-parent, self-soothe, self-regulate, so that I could hold the sensations of deep, secure attachment and intimacy and love. Because I feel like love is, is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do with someone. It's like loving, to love someone is to give open our hearts to someone, give our hearts to someone and have no control over who they are. You know, it's like this quote that I love that I think I, I name quite a lot. It's like, it's one of the most insecure things because ultimately we don't, like secure happiness, we don't have any control over anyone. All we can do is name our needs, fears, desires, set our boundaries and have our choice and our discernment of who we let in. So to love deeply is such a courageous and vulnerable skill that's often missed in the romanticism of what love is. And so hopefully through understanding this process, we can build the relationship that we always wanted and have the feeling of loving and being loved so deeply and feeling grounded, secure, and calm. So let me know how this all lands with you. And if this is something that you're calling in, um, we still have spaces for the Heal With You program starting in on February the 3rd, no, February the 12th uh, for women that are calling in, yeah, exactly this, Secure Grounded Love. Um, it's really a program designed to hold, um, yeah, lots of women that are coming into my field with similar challenges around pleasure and around choosing the wrong people in partnership. And so how could I bring and weave together all these different teachers into an eight-week program that really empowers us to understand ourselves, fall in love with ourselves more deeply and build relationships and date from a place of, I love myself and therefore I love you. And what is possible when we, yeah, create relationships from these from these places. It's, yeah, been one of the biggest gifts that I've gone through. And yeah, it's been super fulfilling to see how it's impacted all the women that have, have gone through it and, and the women that come into my field. So if this resonates with you, yeah, reach out and let me know how, how it all lands. And I think this comes out on the 30th of January. Um, 
Yeah, so wishing you all a gorgeous new year. Thank you for joining me and co-creating this community together. I am so grateful you are here.